International Broadcasting lives on 5085. The big one. WTWW. Please stand by as we get ready to launch another episode of this Reality Radio Cafe Cast with your host and my husband, Denny J, K5DCC. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. Ignition, lift off. Now grab your glass and get ready to fill it up with some radio on the rocks. Vehicles pitching downrange. Hello, Tess. Good morning, everybody. K5DCC. Good morning from Tacoma, Washington. Man, the early bird catches the worm. <laughs> Good morning. Yeah, I'm going on six hours of sleep, which isn't too bad right now. You know, that's not very healthy. How are you going to heal yourself up if you don't get rest? I can rest when I'm dead. <laughs> Listen to you. Well, glad you showed up this morning. Uh, we've got another gentleman that's uh, up early this morning. We'll be showing up here soon. John Portune from California. He's going to be our guest today talking about slot antennas. Roger, Roger. Should be good listening while I'm riding, riding in. John from the Village is on, it's on America Link right now. Okay, very good. Good morning, Daniel, or good afternoon. Bonjour from South Africa. I'm still trying to wake up yet. Bonjour from the crossroads <laughs> of America. <laughs> Bonjour. <laughs> Let's well, get started here. Our guest has arrived. Oh, well, good. Good morning, John. Rise oh. and shine. <laughs> good morning, Denny and everybody else. Can you yeah, hear good me? Good morning, everybody. Uh, uh, we can hear you just fine. Pull up a chair, uh, grab a cup of coffee, and uh, one of Jim's bagels. He likes to make bagels and especially sourdough bread. If I had sourdough bread, I'd toast it and put peanut butter and stuff on it there, Jim. Honey, honey is all that's required. <laughs> that's right. Well, welcome, everybody, to uh, the Digicom Cafe and our morning cafe cast. Uh, we're just sitting around the table. We've got a special guest with us today, and uh, I think we'll get right into this because we're all passionate about learning about the slot antennas and all the things you can do. And it sounds to me like John's written the book in it. But before we get into that, John, maybe you can just introduce yourself and give us a little bit of history on your ham radio experience, how you got into the hobby and, and uh, your journey. All right. Well, first of all, I've been in ham radio a long time. I became a ham in 1965, or was it seven? I can't remember for sure. I used to think it was 65, but it's, I think it's actually 67. I was living in the UK at the time, teaching at a grammar school. I had gone there uh, after university and uh, just on an adventure more than anything and, uh, and found that uh, I, liked, uh, I liked it over there. And lived there nearly 10 years. Anyway, I became interested in, uh, I'd always been interested in the idea of ham radio, but it was over there that I finally bit the bullet and, uh, and decided to become a ham. And, uh, but the only way to become a ham at that time, being an American living in England, uh, I had to do a reciprocal general 
but I found a local ham who gave me the test and I did it. I got on the air by building a little transmitter that I uh, saw in a British magazine called Practical Wireless, which I actually still subscribe to. And it was fun. It had a little 6BW6 pentode in the output, 10 watts on 160 meters. <laughs> but uh, hams all over the UK were using top band, and it was just great fun. And, but uh, not until I came back to the U.S. did I really become a an active uh, uh, active ham on the ham for over 50 years now, and because I'm 82 at the moment, <laughs> soon to turn 83. <laughs> yeah, wow. but uh, doesn't stop me any. In fact, it's the best time of my life. Uh, you know, apart from a few minor health problems, uh, I, I get to do what I've always wanted to do, and that's play ham full time. And uh, writing for uh, ham radio has has become the uh, has become the chief interest. Never thought in high school I'd like to write, but uh, eventually I've seen that I do. Huh. And I've, I've tried lots of things in ham radio over the years, as you might guess, uh, and so forth. And always like to look at new technologies, but kind of short-lived sometimes, uh, you know. But uh, the the current thing, you know, which has led to this uh, conversation, uh, was uh, the, my adventure with with slot antennas. It was a kind of an interesting uh, transition into that. Uh, driving down the street one day, I noticed a uh, satellite dish, direct TV satellite dish on somebody's roof. And I thought, oh, wouldn't it be fun if I could hide my two-meter antenna in that satellite dish? Then my nosy neighbors and my HOA wouldn't complain about my antennas. And I thought, but how can I do that? I can't put a two-meter antenna up in a satellite dish. All that metal around the two-meter antenna would disturb it. But I thought, wait a minute cut a slot in it, in, in the dish. <laughs> and that's what led to it. And I've made slots upon slots upon slots since then, until I finally have arrived at how to, how to make slots for HF. And, uh, and, and that's what been one of the principal, principal things I've written. I'm looking at the cover plaque uh, awards that I've won. And uh, there at least, at least two or three of them have been on slot antennas. Anyway, uh, uh, I don't do a lot of operating these days. I do mostly writing and inventing. But uh, what the heck? Ham radio is a very broad topic, and that's sort of uh, that's sort of basically what I do these days. Well, I'm going to introduce you to my co-host, uh, Professor Jim Brown, over in Indianapolis, Indiana. He's even uh, purchased your Kindle book on Amazon and was busy reading it through the night. I think, uh, Jim, you've got some questions for him. Well, good morning, John. And in fact, uh, this conversation uh, with Denny um, came as a result of your presentation not long ago to the Indianapolis Radio Club, which I remember uh, li <laughs> listened to. And uh, I was kind of fascinated by uh, your presentation. And uh, to give you a little bit of background on my life, I got my ham ticket about the same time you did. I would say uh, around 1960 or so. But uh, as life progressed, I became inactive and uh, 
mainly when I was a grad student and my rig uh, didn't work any longer and I didn't have enough money to get it repaired. <laughs> that will do it. Uh, at any rate, I'm retired now. I'm a little bit behind you. I'm 76. And uh, I met Denny on the air and we hooked up on Telegram. And he's gotten me interested in getting back on HF, which is I've not been on HF since, oh, probably I was uh, in my early 20s. And uh, so this is like a new world to me. Everything I'm just soaking up information. I, I kind of have the, the, uh, the knowledge of a novice, but I have a lot of people around me who are very knowledgeable and I was very interested in the slot I do I have an 80 to 10 infed long wire I'm, uh, in the process of getting put up my radio is ordered it's not here yet and the radio covers six meters well having never been on six meters I thought well I need to build something for six meters and you have a six meter cube in your book, but the 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 novice question I have is it's it's only it, when you reduce the slot antenna to a small space, apparently it reduces bandwidth, which may be true of all antennas. But the bandwidth of your slot cube is like three hundred kilohertz, not very wide, so. I'm, I'm wondering just how, apparently you have to build that slot cube just for a particular frequency. And having never been on six meters, I would have no idea what frequency to build that for. So you might just comment on uh, how you have miniaturized cubes. And by the way, your experimentation is very, very thorough and I really appreciate the work you've put in. You have all kinds of possibilities in your book, but I was honing in on that six meter cube. So would you comment on that? Yes, you're correct about the fact that a, a small antenna has narrow bandwidth. That's a basic physics. And uh, I don't think there's anything much can do, much one can do about it. I've not been a magic bander. <laughs> to use the term, uh, my, my life, I, I think I've almost never been on six meters. Like, yes, I was on six meters for a while, but it was mostly six meter FM mobile, uh, which I did back in the, uh, in the uh, 20th century. <laughs> that was a lot of fun with an old pre-prog mobile in my trunk of my car, which would dim the headlights every time I'd push the, uh, push the mic button, <laughs> the big dynamotor wrapped up and, uh, made the high voltage to run that old pre-prog transmitter. <laughs> but it worked, and I worked all over the U.S. on that. And uh, But uh, the the slot cube, of course, was a nice experiment, And uh, I, but I don't think I'd practically use it myself. It is a little too narrow in bandwidth. And uh, I have another six-meter antenna, which uh, is coming out in a, in a future issue of um, QST that might be much more of interest. And it's a derivative of the, it's a derivative of the double inverted Delta skeleton slot that I talk about in, uh, that I talked about in the lecture I gave to your club. 
I think that's a much more suitable six meter antenna. If you want, just remind me with an email and I'll send you a copy of the article, but it's an inverted delta, uh, about 15 feet tall and about three feet wide. And, uh, and uh, I have one of them right in front of my house and on it, I have a couple of university pennants flying. Uh, one of them is the pennant from my alma mater, Oregon State. <laughs> and uh, uh, the other pennant is a uh, alma mater from my uh, grandson, who is a recent graduate of Cal, Cal Poly right here locally. And that makes, the, that makes this antenna completely invisible to the neighbors. They think it's just a rack to hold up my, my college pennants. <laughs> anyway send me an email and I'll be glad to send you a copy of the article or anybody else for that matter. My email, by the way, you can write down if you'd like. If for the rest of you who don't have it, it's simply my name, the letter J, that's for John, J Portune, that's my last name, P-O-R-T-U-N-E, like fortune with a P, J Portune at AOL.com. I'll be glad to send you a copy of that article, uh, which I have in submitted to QST to be published. Uh, six meters, an interesting band though. And uh, it works some wonderful DX at times. And uh, it's, it's sort of the super 10 meter band far as I'm concerned. I love to run it mobile. And that's uh, interesting. I have an old ICOM 706 in my, in my car and frequently run, listen to 52525, uh, which is the simplex channel. Anyway, uh, but the uh, two-meter slot cube is really the good one, the one that really works well, and it has better bandwidth for the band. Uh, but it's too big for uh, six meters, so you might want to try that inverted delta. It's a, a nice little, and it works well right at ground level. It doesn't have to be on top of the roof to work well. Anyway, maybe that maybe that doesn't answer your question, but at least there it is. Oh, it does answer the question, and I'm, I'm very interested, and I will follow up by email. One question I have, your your HF, now I'm, that that antenna design has a very long name, and I've already forgotten it, but it, it's, the, it's the one that has a 20 or 30 foot uh, post and, and has some spreaders coming out and the wires coming back down to the ground. And as you've pointed out, that's an untuned antenna and needs a uh, antenna tuner at the base of the antenna. Does the the six meter design that that you have does that need an antenna tuner at the base, or could it be at the transceiver? No, it needs an antenna tuner nowhere. Uh, the uh, the the six meter, and the name of the antenna is the double inverted delta skeleton slot <laughs> that's why i can't remember it <laughs> well just think just think of a delta loop but upside down to the way most people do delta loops all delta loops by the way should be mounted with the pointy top down uh, as this article points out uh, and the article shows why uh, <coughs> excuse me um <coughs> uh, yeah, but the uh, six-meter version or the or the big one or the HF version does not have to have a, del a, a tuner at the base. Uh, the six-meter version uses a, a a tuning stub at the bottom, which will eliminate the the auto tuner. Uh, 
and you, with a couple of sliding bars. You can use the same technique on HF and make that double inverted delta uh, a resonant antenna instead of non-resonant. If you make it resonant, you make it a half a wavelength tall uh, uh, on the band you want to use it on. But uh, tremendously interesting antenna. You know, where else are you going to find a vertical that's horizontally polarized and that, uh, but still has the low angle radiation of a vertical, which everybody loves verticals for, but also has high level radiation coming from the top of the antenna. That double inverted delta has that plus up to 7 dB of actual azimuth gain, where you're going to find a, a vertical that has azimuth gain unless you hook it up in a bunch of, uh, in a four square or something like that. So you might want to look at that antenna. It's quite, uh, it's quite impressive. I, I was amazed uh, how well it does work. So the other, the other thing I remember from your talk is you mentioned that the horizontal polarization has uh, a positive effect of reducing noise. Would you comment on that? Well, certainly. Lots of people use verticals, but to most people, a vertical is a, is a quarter wave stick sticking straight up with a bunch of radials, either in the soil or above the soil. And of course, that's a, a typical uh, uh, antenna. But it is vertically polarized, as essentially most verticals are, by nature, the fact that the active current is running up and down and uh, creating an E-vector that's vertical. But this particular antenna is horizontally polarized by the nature of, the, uh, of it, radiates from the horizontal top portion rather than from the vertical portion. But the benefit of the vertical, uh, one of the natural benefits of the vertical is that being vertically polar, uh, being, ver uh, being vertical, it has uh, low angle radiation. You look at the plot of the, uh, the, the elevation plot of a most vertical, you'll see that the basic main lobe is down around 20 degrees, which is excellent. And that's why lots of people like verticals, because they're great DX antennas. They send off a signal at low angle, where a horizontal antenna, a horizontal dipole at the same sort of low, low elevation, puts most of its energy almost straight up, almost an NVIS antenna. So that's why verticals are like. Well, this double inverted delta, because it is physically a vertical, it's only a few feet wide, but, but quite tall, still has the same low angle radiation of a, of, a, um, of a vertical. And yet because of the way the currents are arranged in it due to the inverted delta, it's horizontally polarized. So it has the benefits of a horizontal antenna of uh, up to 3 dB lower noise than any other type of vertical, and yet low angle radiation, but also because it's a loop, it has some gain perpendicular to the loop. So it's a vertical with gain horizontally polarized. Now, how, can you, how can you win any better? This little 30-foot antenna or 40-foot antenna, whatever you want to make it, is equal to a small beam on a tower. And so, but in my backyard, it's certainly not ugly compared to a small beam on a tower. Anyway, that's, I got <laughs> too much. <laughs> now, that was, hey, John, a quick question regarding how you connect your uh, coax to it. Now, you know, you've... Uh, You've got the upper portion and the bottom portion of the slot. Uh, to get that kind of uh, directivity, does the hot lead have to be on the top of the slot? 
or does it make any difference? It is, like all slots, parallel fit at the base. So you feed the two. Uh, imagine a, imagine a delta-shaped loop, but narrow compared to its width. Not a equilateral triangle, but a tall, thin delta. That's what it is. Ratio of about three to one on the delta is the best width to height ratio. Uh, gives the best bandwidth, uh, and it's it's base fit. Uh, at, with the two wires that come down from the top, you have a spreader up at the top, which is horizontal. That's what does the radiating. And you have two wires coming down. It's more or less acting as an open wire transmission line. Hence, it doesn't radiate. The, the, the currents cancel in most of the vertical section. That's why it radiates from the top and why it's horizontally polarized. But they feed it at the bottom. The two wires coming down from the top of the delta are, are where you feed it. Uh, and uh, I lost my train of thought here. <laughs> That's the advantage of being 82. I was thinking more of the slot. I was thinking more of the slot in the middle. I mean, going horizontally, uh, like you did with your tape one in the back of your car, truck window. You know, yeah. does it make any difference which way that thing is connected? Uh, well, yes. Uh, the classical slot. And this, this double inverted delta is derived from a six-meter antenna called the Hentenna, which you can find on the Internet by looking at it. It's a shunt-fed antenna where you feed it across the slot. And you can feed this antenna that way if you like. In fact, the six-meter version that hasn't yet been published is fed exactly that way. But you can feed this double inverted delta loop just right at the base. Uh, just connect to the two wires. And then the tuner that you have at the base or whatever whatever matching network you have at the base, uh, essentially creates the parallel feed. And uh, so it's there's a tuner at the base, or you can use a simple L-match at the base, but you're feeding the two wires uh, of the base of the, of the delta. I don't know if that answers it or not. Yeah, that's fine. Go ahead, Jim, you had more questions. Well, I got to, my my question slipped my mind. <laughs> uh oh, so don't uh, get him off track. <laughs> uh, you know, the uh, <laughs> you, you, the the slot antenna is sort of I don't know whether it's the obverse or converse or whatever of a dipole. Yet it's different, isn't it, John? It's not. It's not the same, essentially. Uh, and you point out uh, that a, a slot antenna is a parallel or shunt feed, which is voltage fed, as opposed to a dipole, which is current feed. And could could you just describe the differences between a, a slot and a dipole with a little more detail? Well, the really kind of reminds me of a folded dipole, isn't it? Like a folded dipole. Uh, now you're hitting the key element, which which I go through and I did I did go through in the lecture. A slot end and a classical folded dipole, or for that matter, one of the loops of a cubical quad, which is uh, uh, which is a full wavelength loop around an open space, is the same as a folded dipole, which is a one wavelength loop of conductor around an open space. A slot is also a one wavelength loop around an open space. They're all three the same animal. But 
because you cannot series feed the, the slot because of the metal plane, you parallel feed it. But you can parallel feed a, uh, a folded dipole if you like. You can shunt feed it just as well, or you could shunt feed a cubical quad if you wanted to, uh, and no, no problem. Uh, although the cubical quad is usually series or current fed, as you say, and the folded dipole is usually series or current fed, they too can be shunt fed if you wish. Take a standard folded dipole and, and connect across it at the end and, and create a voltage feed. Uh, and uh, But because of the way the feed is arranged, a shunt fed creates a rotated polarization. The polarization is now up and down. The ends of the slot are what are doing the are what are doing the radiating, not the uh, or the ends of the folded dipole are what are doing the radiating, not the horizontal sections. Uh, most of you, let's go back over to that cubical quad. Most many of you have had cubical quads. You know what they're like. Uh, I've used them on two meters all through HF. And uh, if you feed a cubical quad from the bottom, if you open the wire at the bottom of a cubical quad, what's the polarization? It's horizontal. But if you go over to the side of a cubical quad loop, which is a one wavelength loop, square loop, uh, and you feed it from the side, what now is the polarization? It's vertical. The same thing is true, true of, a, of a folded dipole. Imagine taking your cubical quad loop and just flattening it, bringing the two top and bottom together and stretching out the sides. It becomes a folded dipole. If you feed it at the side, it too becomes vertically polarized. So if you want a horizontal dipole that's vertically polarized, end feed a folded dipole or end feed it by shunt feeding it. That's all a slot is. The slot is just a folded dipole. It's the metal around that open space that does the work. The current is all running around the edge of that open space in the in the slot antenna. And some of it runs out farther on the on the metal plane, but not much. Uh, they're they're all the same animal: cubical quad, a folded dipole, and a slaughter, all the same. They can all be parallel fed. They can all be series fed. I suppose you could cut a cut a slot and series feed it too. That's not the common way. Most commonly, it's shunt feeding it. So uh, if you look at it as a folded dipole or a cubical quad that's been flattened and stretched, uh, you see the same antenna. That's fascinating. Now, this kind of brings me to uh, the question about does an iPhone or does your phone have an antenna? And Jim and I, you heard yesterday in our conversation, we were talking about, you know, there was a while back that Apple came out with the sides of their phone being the antenna and it had a little plastic gap there or something. Is that basically a slot type of antenna? I was fascinated by the comment somebody made about this uh, uh I guess it was in the previous uh, uh, version of this uh, Digicom Cafe um, and uh, mentioning that uh, I listened to the uh, recording yesterday. Uh, I don't know whether that iPhone was a was a slot or not. I'll have to look into that, but it could be. Where you're going to find slot antennas more commonly is if you've got an old laptop that's quit on you or that you've broken it up. I, I uh, put one on top of my car one day to get in and forgot it <laughs> and drove off. <laughs> oh, boy. It flew oh, out. It wasn't a Mac. <laughs> it, no, it was, a, it, was a, it was a standard PC. 
laptop. <laughs> it hit the street and went into a billion pieces. And I, I went Ooh. back to bed. I, you know the words that I said. <laughs> 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 and I went back and I said those words and picked up and picked up my poor broken laptop. Took it home, but I thought, what the heck? It's now all broken in pieces. I'll just I'll just take a look. I'll sal salvage the hard drive and and look at a bunch of other stuff. And I took it all apart, and voila! I found a couple of slot antennas. And uh, and they're but but because they're on uh, cell phone frequencies, they're up in the gigahertz region. They're not very big, but you'll find slots in all sorts of things. I don't know whether that whether what the iPhone uses. I'm talking into an iPhone right now, but uh, but uh, I. Uh, this one hasn't quit yet, and I don't have any broken iPhones. <laughs> I'm not gonna, I'm gonna take my uh, mine apart, which is an i11, uh, or my wife <laughs> apart, and uh, and see what the slot, see what the antenna. Is. But chances are, it may well have been a slot. I uh, I'm going to look into it. If any of you find any reference to that iPhone and that slot in the side <laughs> gap in the side, I'd like to see it. I have to tell you, my my wife's uh, iPhone uh, kind of was on the last leg, so to speak. She broke the glass on it. I'd already replaced the battery in the glass once before, but I, I thought I'd give it a try. So I ordered the glass. And in the process of pulling the glass out, I, I tore some of the tender circuitry that was uh, attaching <laughs> it to the phone. And so I thought, ah, forget it. I took out took it outside and took my 9 millimeter to it. <laughs> <laughs> Take that, anyway. Take that, <laughs> yeah, Apple. Take that, Apple. We got several guests in here right now. We've got uh, Bob. He's a regular here, local here in Bergman. We've got Andy. We've got Daniel. I wonder if those guys have any questions. Uh, let's just go down the list real quick. Uh, Bob, good morning to you. Have you got any questions here for John? Uh, good morning. No, I'm just I'm just listening there. Real, very interesting. Thank you. Okay. How about you, Andy? He's out there in Seattle. I am thoroughly intrigued and trying to sponge it all in. But if I talk, I'll sound like a lid because I have no experience with antenna <laughs> and polarization and Fed. And yeah, I can just call HRO and send me the best one you got. But I've been a shortwave listener for years and can firmly attest that a long wire done right is, is phenomenal in the receiving capabilities of things. Um, thanks for enlightening me, and I will sit back and listen. Okay, Daniel, yeah, this have, is definitely not Ham Radio 101. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel, uh, how about you? You have a question? Uh, hello, John. Uh, I'm listening with great interest here because, uh, by the way, greetings from South Africa. And uh, uh, I'm listening with great interest because I don't have any experience in that side of things uh, ever. Well, this is uh, very true for all of us. I mean, uh, Jim and I just started broaching the subject here this last week, and it was thanks to uh, Jim that uh, we even got here. So I'm fascinated by it. I can't wait to make my first uh, silver duct tape antenna. <laughs> How about you there, Jim? <laughs> well, I, I'm I'm fascinated. Uh, I, at the moment, I have no antenna. And uh, so I, I, I am going to fire off an email to John and get his uh, plans for that six-meter uh, what do you call it? Inverted delta, whatever skeleton. you call it. Yeah, skeleton. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm terrible with remembering things. So, I'll, but anyway, I'll send you an email and 
you can send me the plans and I will, I will, I will uh, put something up for six meters and try it. That's Feel 3D good. print it. <laughs> <laughs> See, I was thinking, John, you're, you actually have some STL files uh, that you make available uh, for some of your antenna builds. So you're into 3D printing, as am I. I picked that up uh, during COVID as a, something to keep me occupied. And I've designed and uh, built lots of things to help in my photography uh, enterprise as well. So I'm, I'm just wondering when that laptop flew off the roof of your car, why you just didn't 3D print a new case for it. Well, it was it was it was deader than the, than a new case would solve. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's well, I, in your rearview mirror and and see a thousand dollar laptop flying off the back of your car and uh, hitting street. <laughs> well, I remember wow, when I was uh, in uh, when I was in college, I was uh, I went to Southern Illinois University in Carbondale, where I lived. And my dad was a professor of chemistry at SIU. And uh, I was in the cinema and photography department. And that's what my undergraduate degree is in. And I was off somewhere in the hills of Southern Illinois, which is an extension of the Ozarks that, that Denny lives in. And uh, uh, I got home I, and I, you know, when you're in college, you don't have a lot of money, but I had acquired some photo equipment. I had a Nikon and a couple of lenses, eventually had a Hasselblad and a couple of lenses. And in those days, I used a Luna Pro light meter, Gossen Luna Pro light meter, because um, none of the cameras had built-in meters in those days. And we actually used film, something called film in those days, and you had to have what chemistry to process the film it was way back in yester here and so i was out photographing in the hills of southern illinois and i got back home and i was looking for my luna pro light meter and i i couldn't find it anywhere and i i got out of the car and i was walking around the car and i had left the luna pro on the the trunk lid of the car fortunately it was a fairly flat trunk lid 56 chevy and wow. there was the luna pro it had survived me driving through the hills of southern illinois and making turn curves and so forth that luna pro was still sitting exactly where i'd laid it good luck <laughs> <laughs> must be a heavy camera <laughs> good, good car too i had a 56 chevy <laughs> oh my yeah i I uh, went through my teenage years in college. I, I put a stick on the floor and did rolled and pleating, rolled and pleated upholstery and really jazzed it up, put some gauges on it. And I thought I was really cool. Well, you, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't do it up to 56. Mine was a little earlier than that, but, uh, uh, but I, I've, I've done that same kind of stuff <laughs> with cars. Uh, but no, no more. Is it full of mobile antennas? Not, not now. <laughs> now, now. No, back then was it full of not, mobile antennas? Now my cars got antennas all over it. My truck's got a whole bunch of antennas on it. The sedan only has <laughs> one on the trunk lid. <laughs> 
Wow. Hey, you know, I've got a question about your call sign. That's kind of a unique call sign, and I can't help but think that must have something to do with your career. Well, indirectly, yes. Um, I I worked for NBC uh, in Burbank, Channel 4, uh, you know, CanBC, Los Angeles, for a number of years, seven years, I think it was, or something like that. And uh, as a video technician fixing fixing their equipment all throughout the studio that's the johnny carson studio and the wheel of fortune studio and all of that area and uh, and it was it was during the time i was working there or maybe just shortly thereafter that the fcc decided to start the vanity program and there were a lot of uh, a lot of emails or a lot of information going around on the internet how if you wanted to get a really cool vanity call sign you there was an address you could send your application directly to you could fedex your application directly to it and get put right at the top of the list and i did all of that and i and i put down the 25 uh, call signs in the application for the vanity and uh, and uh, i I spent a lot of time searching through three-letter call signs. I wanted a classical call sign. To me, uh, KF6AG is not a classical call sign. It's a good call sign, <laughs> but it's yeah. not a classical. To me, a classical call sign is either uh, is W something XXX. That, to me, is a ham call sign. When I became a ham, that's what all call signs were. Uh, everybody else, all these, all these more interesting, you know, uh, AF6D was not, for example, was not a call sign in those days. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I searched well, all the, all the three letters from AAA to ZZZ or ZZZ. That's my <laughs> British years coming up, and looked at all the ones that said, you know, I like that call sign, and uh, and now some guys get their initials. Who cares about your initials when you're on the air? <laughs> exactly. Only you do. If your initial yeah. name is Xavier, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> brother, uh, who's going to who's going to recognize XQG or something like that on the <laughs> air? <laughs> you know what? Uh, so I wanted some good stuff like W6BBC, or since I lived in England, or W6 uh, or W6 uh, USA which is the one I tried to get at a Baptist college in Southern California, got it first. <laughs> I did <laughs> But WNBC, since I was working for NBC at the time, was a, was a top of my list, along with a bunch of, of one-by-twos. I tried several one-by-twos, but, uh, uh, but they were all gone even by then. When the vanity came out, there were a few left. So I <laughs> NBC, and I was working for NBC at the time. My best buddy in NBC was mad as a wet head when he heard that I got that call. <laughs> 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 oh, yeah. My first call was horrible. WA0WCX, Whiskey Charlie X-Ray. But my, my family heard me say that for so many years. They'll never forget it. But then when I uh, was moving down here from Minneapolis to Arkansas, I wanted a five call so i went with my initials like you said for my name like you say who cares but then when i started this digicom cafe concept i decided i wanted to brand it and that's kind of what you're talking about you kind of brand it with your call sign and so i went with dcc i was just fortunate enough to 
to find that available, of course, doesn't mean anything to anybody else, but now it's associated with the Digicom Cafe. Now, Jim, he was blessed right from the get-go, and he's not changing his for anything. No, sirree. Now, my call was actually randomly assigned. I I didn't apply for that call. Oh, that and, that's such a good call sign. <laughs> and uh, the typically in in many states the the prisoners uh, make license plates for that state's licenses. And uh, the prisoners in in Indiana apparently don't know how to put a slash through a zero. So it's just the, <laughs> my license plate looks like it's the, the zero looks like an O. And so people look at my license plate and they think it says world. And they they ask me, well, what does that mean? And I just say, whatever it means to you. <laughs> at least you don't have umlauts over your, your O. <laughs> that's that's yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it took it took me a, a quite a while to figure out how to make that slash through the zero on my computer, but on a Mac, it's Shift Option O. That's right. <laughs> well, I have a little. Uh, we call- I have a little doggy. Her name is Lolly. She's a Shih Tzu, and uh, I I always kid her and and, and say since bo- both my wife and I have call signs, I also said, well, my dog has to have a call sign. Her call sign is D zero G G Y. That's good. What's your wife's call sign? Uh, KB six uh, O E B. <laughs> okay, that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> no, it was my a wife's random issue, yeah. not a. Yeah, my wife's random issue is K F five K L S, and her phonetics are. Keep life simple. And she does that by never talking on a radio. <laughs> <laughs> well, my uh, wife calls sign OEB. It's only eats bananas. Which... <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, it's kind of funny hearing some of the phonetics people come up with. In fact, Andy, uh, you probably got something for years. He's always throwing out interesting phrases. What are the phonetics you use for your call sign, Andy? Kilo Echo 7, Romeo Tango Bravo, return to base. Elliot Base, Seattle, Washington, United States of America. <laughs> well, if you don't have a recognizable call sign like mine, uh, that's directly a word, you know, to have a good phonetic like that, something that, that really works. One of the, uh, one of the students that I had, uh, a woman, a woman uh, and she got a call sign. She applied for a vanity. Her name is Susan. So she applied for K6SUE. And uh, I embarrassed her one day. I said, you know, your call sign has great phonetics. It's K6, show us everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, wait a minute. You said one of your students. Are you, are you a retired professor too? Oh, yeah, sure, certainly. I've taught all sorts of places, uh, mostly at community college. And, uh, and, uh, Never, never got tenured, but uh, certainly had done lots of teaching. There you go, Jim. Aha. Uh-huh. Well, I spent 37 that's, years. That's pretty cool. Uh, teaching. Uh, first at, my first job was at the University of Minnesota. And then since I like to have lots of power, 
I got a dean's position at Indiana University and ran ran the journalism school for Indiana University at the Indianapolis campus for 28 years. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I love teaching. You know, in high school, the class I liked the least was the English class in which we had to learn all about those dead authors. But the worst part of it was giving a <laughs> A public speech and having to write having to write term papers. Remember the day my teacher said, "Okay, we're going to write a theme, a term paper. You're going to write a 20-page term paper." I thought, I thought, oh, guess that'd rather be shot. <laughs> Today I can turn out a 20-page I can turn out a 20-page article or or a 50-page book, and you know, no time at all. I like writing, and that's a, really a surprise to me. Let me tell you a story about my call sign, though. Not directly my call sign, but but NBC. Uh, since I've been in television, I, I, I have a lot of television war stories, including the famous Blue Banana. If you've never heard the Blue Banana television war story, I can tell that one to you. But um, uh, and uh, anyway, one of the uh, one of the guys who did mobile, you know, was set out with the mobile teams or the field truck and other stuff to do remotes was sent over to England once, uh, and he was from NBC. And uh, he uh, showed up at the hotel uh, when he got got to England. And uh, for some reason, they'd, they'd fouled up his uh, reservation. They didn't have it. And and he raised, holy hell, you know, into the, with, with the clerk there at the counter, and saying, but, but, but I'm from NBC, uh, thinking the clerk would immediately know what that meant. The clerk went screaming off into the back room. She says, hey, we have a chap out here from the embassy. <laughs> oh. Jim, you've got some serious competition here in storytelling. Oh, I know. I think uh, I'm, I'm a novice again. <laughs> What's that other story? How many of you know the television war story about the blue banana? I don't. Please tell it. Please tell. Never heard it. No. All right, you'll love this one. This was an absolute classic. In fact, I, I worked with a fella in KNBC Los Angeles who had been there when this actually happened. It is real, real story. When NBC and ABC, I don't know about CBS, but were working on color television back in the fifties, and they all had experimental studios, uh, mostly in New York City, uh, where they had their their various types. NBC had an experimental studio at 30 Rockefeller Plaza, where their main headquarters still are, a big studio there uh, around the ice rink, you know, just north of the ice rink there in, in, in New York City. That's 30 Rock. Then We even had a, a, a sitcom named that. Anyway, um, <clears throat> in 30 Rock, uh, which is a byword in, for NBC employees, um, they had a the developmental studio where they were developing NTSC color television, uh, which they eventually uh, uh, succeeded in being the one that was accepted. So they had they had experimental color cameras there, and then down in the lobby, where people could see it, there was a uh, they had some color monitors where the public walking around the ice rink there at Rockefeller Center could see the color television, which was which was really a, a, an in thing at the time. Anyway, when they finally got color, their color television uh, system well worked out, they decided to do a, 
an actual field transmission of it and transmit a signal from 30 Rock down to Baltimore, Maryland, I think, by, by microwave. And uh, so they sent a bunch of engineers down to uh, Baltimore, wherever it was, and uh, to set up the microwave link between New York, 30 Rock, and wherever the, the monitors were down there in Maryland. Uh, and to get all the, everything all tweaked in so that they could have a demonstration of, of actually transmitting color television. And, uh, but in those days, they, the cameras weren't exactly portable. <laughs> Couldn't hunch them on the shoulder. They were big as a room almost. But um, so, they, so they just had, uh, they just used uh, test scenes to send over the thing. And they had uh, some colored pictures that they'd put in front of the, the cameras. And but one of the things that they used as a sort of a test sink was sort of the precursor to the color bars, which all of us know what color bars look like, and uh, uh, which aren't used anymore. But anyway, they had they had a, this precursor to the color bars, which was which was just a bowl of fruit. It was a yellow bowl or a, a ceramic bowl, and then there was an apple and an orange and some grapes and a banana you know, gave the colors and it made a good subject to aim their experimental cameras at. And that's what they were using. That's what they were sending as a signal from 30 Rockefeller Plaza down by S by a studio link or microwave link down to Baltimore, where they were uh, setting up the receivers to pick up the signal and, and tune it in and, and show it off. Anyway, uh, while it was set up and they were getting it out, they're working on it. One enterprising bright young engineer and I, I don't know his name took the banana out of the bowl and painted it blue <laughs> i can put, see where this is going <laughs> oh yeah and put it back in the bowl anyway pretty soon over the studio transmission link this yep came the engineer down there well, how are things going down there in, in Baltimore? Oh, great. We got a great signal down here, five and nine signal down here in Baltimore. But we got a problem. He says, oh, oh, what's the problem? He says, we can't get the color adjusted right. <laughs> every, time, uh, every, time I, every time I get the banana to look right, the, the apple. <laughs> that was blue banana prank that is a byword story in the uh, in the television <laughs> and one of the guys that was working with me and master control there at nbc burbank he he, had, he was there he was part of that setup and that's where i learned all the details about that story wonderful wonderful war story i love it sounds I like jim jim is quite a prankster too i don't suppose you are are you john are you a prankster oh yeah you want me to tell me my favorite prank <laughs> You love this. Yeah. Yes, 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 we love please, these stories. <laughs> I used to have I used to belong to Toastmasters International, the speaking oh, organization. Oh, I was too. Yeah, years and years. Love the love the competition speeches uh in, in Toastmasters. Almost made it up uh, uh, up to the top once with a, with a speech. Anyway, the the board for my local uh, Toastmasters club used to meet monthly to you know, for various things. And we'd make a social event out of it and they'd meet at various board members' houses. And and the, our routine was to, you'd bring a potluck meal with you when you went over to the board meeting. We'd all have this potluck meal and then we'd discuss club business. Well, 
one day, one of the members brought over a bottle of wine, which she'd bought at the local Trader Joe's, uh, which specialized in all sorts of interesting wines. It was a bottle of German Rhine wine, uh, Hock or, uh, or Liebfrau Mills. She brought it over and, uh, as the offering to the meal. And it was good wine. And, and it was cheap. And I thought, boy, that's, that's good, pretty good Rhine wine. I like German wine. Uh, so I, I went down to Trader Joe's and I bought a whole case of the stuff. And I had it in, <laughs> and, and drank it over the years. But um, anyway, when the next, when the next board, it's a long story, but you'll love the, you'll love the conclusion. The, when the, <laughs> the next board meeting came along, I got a telephone call from, from this woman who had brought that bottle of wine saying, uh, what shall I bring? I, I said, have you got any more of that wine? And she said, yeah, I've got another bottle. I said, bring that along. She didn't know that I had a refrigerator full of that same wine. <laughs> so, what did, so what I did is just before the people arrived, I took out a, a chilled bottle of that same wine and I wrapped it in a, in, a, in a washcloth and stuck it inside of the microwave oven, which is in the same room we had our potluck. Just put it in the back of the oven where nobody could see it. And then when she came in, she said, well, where, what shall I do with this wine? I said, just put it on the counter next to the microwave there. So when everybody gathered, I said, hey, everybody, and here's where we come to the prank. And they all knew I was a, a, a technical nut. So <laughs> I said, I've done something here that you might, you, you people might find really interesting. And they said, oh, what is that? said, I've made a modification to my microwave. <laughs> I've gone in and I burst the polarity on the magnetron. Of course, that sounded wonderful. <laughs> I said, now when I press the button, the microwave oven cools instead of heats. <laughs> so I, uh, they all gave me, oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, big deal. You're, you're pulling our leg. I said, no, this is really true. I'll demonstrate it to you. I said, let's, let's see, what shall I do? Oh, okay, let's take this bottle of wine, for example. It's still room temperature. She'd brought it uh, from, from home. I reached over there and I grabbed the bottle of wine and I took another washcloth, which I had on top of the microwave. Of course, it just happened to be there. <laughs> and I wrapped the bottle in this, this washcloth, opened the microwave oven, reached in and put the bottle of wine in there, wrapped in the washcloth. And then said, now, I'm going to run it here for 30 seconds. Of course, I, I put it on no power. They didn't see me hit the no power button. So I ran the microwave for 30 seconds. Then I reached in, but I didn't take out that bottle. I took out the other bottle, which was already cold. <laughs> and, brought it and they were utterly amazed. You can reverse the polarity of the microtron and it becomes the magnetron. And it becomes a cooler instead of a heater. It preferred to anybody done they'd be on uh, thousands <laughs> that oh, was funny oh, that is hilarious i have i have to tell you a short one that i did uh it which involves ham radio uh when, when i i lived at home all through college and so i had a a 40-foot tower and the tower uh connected to the overhang of the roof it was a one-story house that my parents had. My mother was having a bridge party in the living room. The living room had a picture window. And I 
had to get up there and do some antenna work. And while I was going up and, and of course, I just used the tower as a ladder to get on the roof. And uh, I, uh, I got this idea. So I got the garden hose out and hooked it up, turned the water on, climbed up the tower to the roof, walked across the roof to the front of the house, put my thumb over the end of the hose and started waving like crazy as the water came out and it looked like an absolute downpour and of course all those ladies with their blue hair had not <laughs> had not brought umbrellas and they were absolutely panicked as to how they were going to get home through that downpour and then just all of a sudden the sun came out and the water stopped and they were greatly relieved <laughs> that's a great prank <laughs> John, you will always be welcome here. Uh, you can drop in any time and be part of our conversation. If you remember the Toastmasters table talks, this is basically like table talks. The topic comes up and we just talk about it. We have no idea where it's going to go, but it's always interesting. In fact, Professor Jim has his question of the day. We call it the what if question. And maybe you can join us here. Uh, are you ready for this one, Jim? Or did you just put that aside no, I I actually have one that's somewhat philosophical. Uh, the uh, I was re reading an article in the New York Times this morning about social media etiquette, and I have pulled back on my use of Facebook. I've changed the way I use Facebook because um, I used to get upset about a lot of things. As I get older, I get less and less upset. I get more mellow, I think. But anyway, I use Facebook to spout off. And uh, one of the problems with any form of communication, whether it's uh, uh, particularly email or written communication, it's somewhat fallible because you don't, uh, particularly in emails or in Facebook posts, for example, you don't hear the inflection of the voice if it were spoken. And so many forms of communication are prone to misinterpretation and have unintended consequences. And I don't think any of us wish to harm somebody with our communication. Well, unless it's warranted. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> the, the issue is... Uh, how do we apologize? We we see lots of apologies from politicians that will say something like, if I have offended somebody, I apologize. And the, the writer of this article uh, said, you know, if you, if you have the word but or if in an apology, it's really not understanding uh, what, the, what the offended person has perceived. So the, the what if question is, what if we were more sensitive in our communication? And if we find we have offended somebody that we did not intend to offend, how do we listen better? And how do we take ownership of that communication and properly apologize? What if we could properly apologize? And I, and I got to admit, I got to think about that myself and, and see how I can better uh, communicate without offending. 
that is, of course, an interesting philosophic question, right? I think I can give you my take on it. I don't try to justify. I simply say I'm wrong. That that's a very succinct answer. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Is very important as well. Hard to do oh, yeah. that, but the ego doesn't like to be wrong. Right. Yeah, that's excellent. And Andy's talking about punctuation. You know, a lot of exclamation points or capital letters. Those things uh, indicate something that may or may not be true, like you're screaming at us. You know? Especially when it comes to texting. Um, when you text someone, you can't convey the real meaning. Or, or your boss texts you something. Is he mad? Um, so, right. 100% nailed on the head. Just getting out on my dock. Yep. I'm sorry to jump in there. Well, I no must problem. Say, I must say, guys, I'm enjoying this uh, activity here. I wish it were a little later in the day for me. Five o'clock <laughs> is a little, although I usually get up early. I'm usually up by by 5.30 or 6, so it's not too much of a problem. But uh, my wife is still uh, flattening the pillow. <laughs> well, John, if I knew you were going to be a regular here, we might move it up an hour till uh, to eight o'clock. Uh, we'd love to have you. I mean, you would bring a, a technical dimension to our conversations that we don't have, even though I've been a ham for over 50 years, too. I don't know it all. Yeah. Well, I guess us guys who uh, kind of become uh, experts, which you know what an, uh, an expert is. <laughs> Yeah, has been drip under pressure. <laughs> <laughs> oh my! Well, I know you focus on slot antennas. I haven't uh, seen a lot of your other writings, but is slot antennas is that your favorite antenna? Well, it's become my favorite antenna because it's been the six-year, six-year now a love affair. But uh, no, I have a lot of other other designs too. Uh, but it's been the one that's kind of dominated things. At the moment, I'm developing a series of shortened verticals. The, but the other kind of love of mine are, are stealthy antennas. Since I yeah. live in a small mobile home uh, with a Gestapo-like uh, homeowners association. Who, <laughs> 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 yeah. if you plant a, who, if you, if you dig up a, uh, a, a, a bush, they come around and about throw you in the in the Stalag 17 or whatever it is, but uh, so <laughs> I think I've got some antennas on my on my house right now, and they're all stealthy antennas, starting with the satellite dish, which which doesn't look like an antenna, and the even the double inverted delta in my backyard, which is 30 feet tall with a X cross on top of it where the cross is over, doesn't look like an antenna, and I've had nobody. I've had nobody complaining about it yet, and I've had, I haven't had a, I, I haven't, haven't had a, uh, a visit from Colonel Clink yet uh, to tell me, <laughs> you must take down that antenna or you will be shot. I, I know I should. I should well, I should uh, uh, characterization like that—that's not politically. <laughs> John, John, I have some of the same problems you have. I live in a, uh, HOA. And uh, I'm intending to put up an in-fed long wire from my chimney out to the apple tree in the commons area where the, the drainage pond is. And uh, I'm just hoping nobody complains. So, but 
I'm not going to ask permission. I'm just going to put it up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And if you get caught, I can see both of you guys standing there saying, like Sergeant Schultz, I know nothing. Nothing. <laughs> I, do, I do have one other question, John, and that's that you use a particular program for uh, antenna design. And I have, uh, I've never designed an antenna. And I'm, could you describe just in layman's terms how an antenna design computer program actually works? That is, what do you, what kinds of things do you put as input and what do you get as output? Okay, very much. One of my favorite topics. In fact, I'm thinking about trying to do a, a, a fairly long series of uh, log-on training on, uh, on this particular program. It's called EZNEC, EZNEC, N-E-C is the, uh, is the sort of generic name for numeric electronic control uh, for uh, antenna modeling. Uh, and EZNEC is one of the common The ARRL has one too, and there's several of them. I just got used to EZNEC. Um, there's a free version on the internet. Just search for EZNEC. I love, I love antenna modeling. Everything I do starts with an easy neck model. Uh, it's a, a simple thing. You just go into it. You open up a, a table, which looks a lot like an Excel spreadsheet, and you start inputting X, Y, Z coordinates for the beginning of a wire and the end of a wire, and you make rows of these things. And you literally build your antenna inside this program. That's what antenna modeling software does. And, uh, and uh, I've built dozens and dozens of antennas. In fact, there hasn't been an antenna that I've, that I've published on that hasn't been easy neck first. And I've been amazed how close, how close the easy neck comes to that, uh, to that actual antenna when I go out and build it. It'll need some tweaking, but I've modeled everything. In fact, the easy neck, easy neck comes in four versions. The free one, which you can get, which is good to do some learning on, but not to practical because it's somewhat limited but it runs just like the bigger one then there then there are three other professional versions beginning from a fairly low one up through the maximum one which is easy neck four which uh, i got sponsored into owning a copy of it it's several hundred dollars and it'll do some wonderful modding model including if you can believe it it'll model buried radials that's a, <laughs> a wonderful feature but uh, I love antenna modeling software. Uh, I do everything, everything in the software. Get up in the morning, sit down with my wife and my cup of latte, and, uh, and uh, get on my easy neck and start designing antennas. I've got one here right beside me right now, which I was trying to do, but easy neck showed me. Oops, I don't think you can do it. Any of you, <laughs> any of you familiar with these plastic four by eight sheets of plastic lattice work that you can put up as sort of baffles. I'm sure you know what it is. You can buy it at most home stores. Uh, they're just these uh, sheets of four by eight plastic. They got a lot of uh, X's. I thought maybe I'd take one of those and, and stick on some copper tape and make a, uh, make a kind of a di double diamond shaped dipole for the HF bands. And it does work. It's just that I can't get it I can't get it below about 25 megahertz. It's not big enough. <laughs> but uh, 
I'm been modeling that in Easy Neck, and Easy Neck showed me that uh, uh, that I I can do it, it, but shows me the limits, and that's what and and here's the benefit of learning how to use a modeling program. It'll show you what you can't do more than what you can. <laughs> It'll also yeah. you some principles. I've learned an incredible number of important principles by saying, wow, this antenna ought to work, but it's not working here in Easy Neck. Well, you can't do that by going out and snipping pieces of wire off a real antenna. It's too difficult, but you can, you can snip the antenna down or lengthen it or stretch it or expand it or bend it or do what you want to easily inside of the modeling program. And then once you're there, you suddenly say, wait a minute, there's a principle involved here. I see why that antenna won't work. It's because of da, 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 da. And I've suddenly learned a wonderful antenna principle. Can't tell you how much I've learned from Easy Neck. It's taught me about antennas tremendously. Highly recommend you get yourself a copy. Just go to eznec.com and download the free version and use it. You can't, huh. you can't model much in it, but you can certainly model inverted Vs or dipoles or, or simple verticals with a few couple of radials or four radials on it. And learn to run that program. And once you learn to run it, you'll say, oh, that's a great program. Uh, I, I need to get that. I need to get the better version of that. I have, I have progressively purchased all the, all the purchased versions of it which vary in price from about $35 up through four or $500. And, oh, wow. uh, and, uh, and in that, in that maximum version, which I didn't buy, I got sponsored by, uh, by the, uh, by the company force 12 antennas, uh, which I was designing for, uh, they, they, they stood for the price of the professional version. And I love it. I love the modeling software, but there, there's another one called four neck two. Letter four, number four, NEC, letter two, number two, four neck two. That's another freebie. That one has a nice, in more, a more graphical display on it. You might try that one. I think. Ah, huh, cool. You should try. <laughs> I think the ARRL also has a, a neck program available. Uh, you want to try them. If you like the idea of, you conceive of an idea. I wonder what would happen if I'd put a coffee can on the roof of my house and run 20 foot of wire back. <laughs> And hook it up to my my yard sprinkler, and then connect that to my. What would make? Then okay, now I got it up there. Yeah, that'd make an antenna. But now where do I fit it? Yeah. <laughs> and oh well, okay, I'll try the feed point there. Oh wait a minute, that didn't work. I got an SWR of forty six thousand to one. <laughs> that's not the right place. I'll move it down. Oh, that's. That's only 400 to one down there. Oh, oh, way down here near the end. Oh, that's right. Almost one to one. See, that's how you with these programs. You can go out there and cut ends off the wire without actually having to get out of your easy chair. Yeah, yeah. And a modeling. This sounds like a perfect opportunity to use our nano VNAs. I can't wait to try and make one of your... uh, your uh, slot antennas and try my nano VNA on it to see where the, where it's the best. Which one have you got? Which nano VNA have you got? Well, it's just, uh, 
Yeah, it's a little one. They, they're selling like hotcakes, I guess now. Only 50 bucks. Jim's got one. I've got one. Several of our friends have got them. I just well, checked out my uh, long wire antenna last night, and man, that thing is uh, sweet on every band. A VNA is a wonderful tool. I use it all the time. Uh, but if, you're, if you haven't bought a nano VNA yet, look at the bigger version of it. The, instead of the one with the two by three inch screen, buy the yeah. one with by six inch screen my old 82 year old eyes can read that one i can't <laughs> <laughs> yeah i understand <laughs> in fact read the little i got on my 3d printer and i designed a hood that goes over the top of the screen the little one which has a magnifying lens in the uh, <laughs> top of the hood and i can put it over that nano vna and then i can go out in bright sunlight and put my eye up to that magnifying lens and read that tiny little screen. And it works like a champ. I love VNAs. They're great devices. You're giving me an idea. I've got to design a sunscreen for my little nano VNA. But the the first thing I've got to do is I got a, an IP phone and uh, Hamshack online hotline. has given hotline. Hamshack hotline has given me a number. And uh, so I've got a hotline. It's I, I just imagine I'm president of the United States with a hotline to <laughs> to Russia, and I've got a hotline to Denny, so that if I can't raise him for from any of the other fifteen modes he's gotten me into, <laughs> I can just dial him up and talk on the on the 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 IP phone. So, but I, but that came without a, uh, the phone is designed to, to be displayed at an angle and the particular phone I got off of eBay doesn't have that base. And so now I've got to design and print a base that will hold it up properly at an angle. I love my 3D printer. Which, which printer have you got? I have an Ender 3 Pro. Ah, decent printer. Yeah, I have one of the Prusas, uh, the i3. That's a nice machine, too. In fact, I bought one of the Rosen printers the other day. I got some extra money. I won't tell you where it came from. <laughs> sort, of a, <laughs> sort of appeared in my bank account. I almost feel yeah. guilty. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I hit, I've had a lot of fun. I, uh, I have an Ikea store about a mile and a half from my house. And a lot of people hack a particular Ikea end table that only cost $10. So I bought three of those end tables and I've made myself an enclosure for my printer with plexiglass slides, sides. And uh, I've moved all the electronics, the power supply and the motherboard uh, from the enclosure to underneath the tabletop the, that the printer is sitting on. So I had to design and print 3D enclosures for and mounting brackets for all of those things. So that's been a major project, but it's all done now. Oh, that's, that's great stuff. Once you get a 3D printer and you get into it and you like it, I've got a 3D printed stuff all over this house. I've turned my head around. <laughs> I can see it. There's one, there's one, there's one. There's one, there's one. And wow. uh, the one I like the best, I'm looking at it right now, is a day of the week clock. 
You might say, what do you need a day of the week clock? Don't you know what day of the week is? No, I don't. I'm retired. I haven't started. <laughs> yeah. Whether this is the weekend or whether this is Wednesday. People say, oh, thank goodness, it's Friday. I said, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, John, feel free to take pictures of those things or share any of your documentation in the chat channel. We all can watch and look at that and see what we're doing. You've probably uh, perused our our chat list and all the conversations and photos we share, but feel free to use your laptop to share graphics of, uh, or maybe a diagram or screenshots of some of the software you're using. And uh, speaking of antenna design, we might want to make this a topic of another cafe cast, but what do you think of the Starlink dish satellite? They call it dishy. I don't, I, that, that's new to me. Tell me about it. Oh, Starlink, that's Elon Musk's uh, internet service. He's putting up uh, thousands of satellites, low-Earth orbit satellites, with 5G uh, speed with latencies of uh, 20 milliseconds, and speeds are going to be up near a gigabyte when it's all said and done. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's it's a, uh, what do they call those kind of antennas? It's a phased array. It's array. quite fascinating. Are they gigs or what's the phase? What have they phased together, do you know? Well, I don't really know that much about it. Uh, some guys have posted videos where they've taken those satellite dishes apart, and you see this honeycomb of of, uh, of a shape in there that's kind of embedded in whatever strata they put it in. It's kind of a layered thing, but apparently it allows this flat or dish antenna to direct the beams electronically to track the satellites, and it's fascinating technology. That almost I thought you like, might know something about that. that. That sounds like a slot hybrid. You know, that's frequently the way slots are. That's what I was thinking. At those high frequencies. Sure. Yeah. Where well, anyway. Are, that's where classical slots are good, way up at the microwave frequencies. Right. Well, this has been a blast. I hope you like our uh, our format. It's not uh, real professional like some of the others out there where you're regimented to time and stuff, but it's more just uh, sitting around the table here in the cafe and enjoying some fellowship and talking about whatever we want to talk about. So every day is a surprise for us. With COVID, I miss my, my weekly uh, over-breakfast lying session. <laughs> <laughs> Well, well, we only uh, tell the truth here. <laughs> th this this conversation has been so interesting, John. Thank you so much for coming in and talking about slot antennas. In fact, it was so interesting that I uh, told my old man's coffee group, which is now meeting, that I would not be there today. So thank you. I've really appreciated your comments. Jim, I think we ought to have Professor John on for uh, one of our Friday video casts, don't you think? Indeed. We're starting a weekly vodcast on uh, Fridays where we bring in guests that uh, talk about their story and what they're uh, all about, what they're promoting, draw attention to their businesses. Uh, like this week, we've got a gentleman who's a ham that has retired from the trucking industry, and he's now building from scratch uh, machining uh, mobile antenna mounts for trucks and vehicles. And so he's going to give us a little tour of his plant, which is his garage, <laughs> and have him tell a story. But uh, sometime, if you're free and interested, we could uh, just do a real focused video cafe cast with you, and you could present some of your documentation, talk about your books, help uh, get some more interest in what you're doing. What do you think? 
Oh, absolutely. I love it. Great idea. It's what I like doing. So, uh, in fact, wonderful. One of my other favorite programs is PowerPoint. I love building PowerPoints along with Visio, the drafting program, and uh, yep. love uh, building PowerPoints. And in fact, that's my medium. That's what I really like. That's what I do most of the time. As uh, as um, uh, uh, Jim discovered when I presented to his club, uh, sure, send me a send me an email telling me how to how to join your group, and I'll I'll log okay. in version, and we'll be glad. I got lots of things to show you. In fact, I'd love to show you the April Fool spoof that I did here. <laughs> <laughs> it's called, uh, I'll tell you about it. You you can find it by the way if you want to go to YouTube. It's up on YouTube. Just go to just go to YouTube and search on spray s p r a y spray, or if you want to put the whole okay. thing. It, it'll come up. If you want to put the whole thing in, search on neodymium spray. Neodymium <laughs> is, is a chemical. One of the ninety-two natural chemical elements. Any old UIM. This spoof. I tried to get QST to run it. They've only run one of my spoof in the past, which was a roaring success called mon <laughs> monodirectional coax, which was a spoof. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, this. this <laughs> I'm actually looking forward to uh, a viral listenership of at least 150. <laughs> yeah, get your own get your own YouTube channel that way. If you have that many, that many. <laughs> well, we're we're working on it. We're working on it. I've had problems with internet for the last several years. It just I just gave up. Audio is the only thing that would work for me, and even that. When I was on HughesNet Satellite, had so much latency, I couldn't do that. So I took a long hiatus from my podcast. Until now, I'm uh, using Verizon's uh, system. They call it Visible.com, which allows me to get uh, decent enough speeds now that I can do my, my audio and even successfully do some video, too. So we're, we've relaunched it here a couple of weeks ago, and I was blessed to meet uh, Jim. We talked on... D star one day and he came into the digicom cafe and uh i quickly saw a talent here that i i wanted to have as part of our cafe cast he's just a natural like yourself and i think uh you being here just opens another door for for me i think jim would agree you would be a great right. asset to our cafe yeah, absolutely oh i like this one this 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 is my medium this is the this is the tuesday morning coffee clutch that's that i miss <laughs> I have one other one, though, and you're welcome to join it if you like. This is one of mine. On Tuesday mornings, Tuesday mornings, uh, uh, it's, it occurs at 8 o'clock, 8 o'clock Pacific time, so that it'd be 10 o'clock for you, uh, Central time. Uh, uh, we have a little, a little coffee clutch, which is a, a remnant of the one that used to meet in an actual cafe, a couple of the couple of the most meaningful people uh, there and uh, our range of conversation is very similar to what we're doing right now this morning so if you'd like to log on I'll be glad to send you the uh, the it's a zoom it's a zoom meeting so we can actually see each other and show things and this has I, been a fantastic morning I tell you thank you so much for taking the time to join us John appreciate you 
And all of you in the audience, thank you for joining us. Uh, again, we want to invite you to join us live here in our Cafe Cast studios on Telegram. Just go to k5dcc.com. It'll get you right into the group. And then you can be part of our audience and participate, ask questions, and uh, maybe one day we'll pull you out of the crowd and have you tell your story. Here in the Digicom Cafe, located at the intersection of faith and technology, where we just get together and learn to listen, acknowledge, and share in a culture of kindness. So thanks for being here. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Share it with your friends. And uh, maybe John will be back again and teach us some more about antennas. I tell you, I've learned a lot today, John. Thank you. Thank I, you. You want to know about where my little my little Zoom chat is? Just send me an email, jfortune at aol.com, and I'll, I'll send you the, uh, the Zoom log on for it. All the best, and thank you for having me. This is fun. I will be back. Wonderful. Thank Wonderful. you very much, John. Hi, this is Extra Class Amateur Radio Operator, K5DCC. I just upgraded to my Extra Class last year. You know how I did it? I used HamTest Online. Did you know that HamTest Online is the top-rated study program on eham.net? 97% of reviewers gave them five stars. They have more five-star user reviews than all other study methods combined. And success is guaranteed. If you fail the amateur radio license exam, they will refund your subscription. It's a no-brainer. You pass the exam or get a full refund. Try it for yourself at hamtestonline.com. Hello, cafeers. Denny J. here in the beautiful Ozarks of Northwest Arkansas out in the country, 25 miles from any large city. Out here in the country, we struggle to get good internet. Maybe you have the same problem. If you live in a rural area, you don't have many options. It's either satellite or DSL or cellular. And believe me, we've tried them all. Just recently, I was more than happy to pay the penalty to get out of our satellite service. Latency was horrible. And for amateur radio communications, the delays were up to five seconds, and uh, you've probably experienced what that's like. Our DSL service was also very unreliable. We rarely got the speeds that we were promised, and it kept dropping out. But now I think I found a service that we're going to love. It's called Visible.com. It's a company that's owned by Verizon and kind of a paired back service, but works beautifully for my situation here out in the country on 15 acres. Visible.com offers only one plan. It's unlimited everything. Unlimited calls, text, and internet at slightly slower speeds than their top drawer plan at Verizon. But it does use the Verizon network. Go to Visible.com and use my referral code 3 November 37 November Tango. Also to get your $40 a month bill reduced to 25, you need to be part of a party pay group. You can join me in our Digicom Cafe party. You will find the link to these things down in the show notes here, along with links to our Digicom Cafe community portal, which is a Facebook alternative. Also our Telegram community where we have text and voice chat and also our live cafe cast here in the Digicom Cafe. So get your line at visible.com. And again, use my referral code and join our party to get that bill down to $25 a month. 
Thank you for listening to this radio on the Rocks Cafe cast. We invite you to join our Mighty Networks amateur radio community at members.digicomcafe.com.